Welcome back to the Understanding Men podcast, which is basically two guys talking about the things that men could but don't speak about anywhere near enough. I'm Luke Sutton, and I'm here with my great friend, Fraser Franks. Today, we are going to talk about creating boundaries in our lives and how we avoid getting caught in in toxic relationships or toxic dynamics and everything that swirls in and around those sorts of things. So Fraser, I thought we'd sort of start off by talking about what we mean by toxic, you know, toxicity, because I appreciate some people might might be the first time they've ever heard that or they've heard it and not really understood it. You know, what do you take from that phrase, a toxic relationship? I think toxic in general for me is just something that isn't good for you, that isn't healthy for you. So in a relationship, that's a, an unhealthy relationship in the way that you're treated. It could be a friendship. It could be a work colleague. You know, it comes in different forms of a relationship. And, you know, you said we're going to touch on boundaries today. And I think sometimes, especially as young people, I found this to be the case uh, when I didn't really know myself. I didn't know and I was a pretty much a, a people pleaser. I wanted people to like me. So I didn't really put those boundaries in place in a lot of my relationships and maybe tried to implement them a little bit later down the line when a relationship's already built. But for me, toxic and toxicity just comes back to, in whatever kind of form, something that isn't healthy for you, whether that's a substance or a relationship. It's it's not something that, that is good for you. So that's mm. my understanding of it. What would yours be? Yeah, I, I think I always look at it that there's there's sort of three elements to to a relationship or a dynamic. There's the emotional, psychological, and and there can be a physical element in extreme cases. And it's just, I, I think toxic relationships or toxicity is when those three are attacked or you're undermined might be a good word within one of those three. And I always feel like the 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 most powerful phrase to describe toxicity for myself is is when you've you you're in a dynamic where you feel you've lost yourself as a person you're not living to who you truly feel like you are and that can happen in very subtle ways can be very obvious ways but i think it can be really subtle ways i think what what i want to say off the bat is that i think sometimes with these discussions it's like we separate it's like a binary thing. We separate good relationships and toxic relationships. It's one or the other. It's A or B. I think the reality is that there's toxicity somewhere in a lot of things. You know, it can be at an extremely low level. It can be very temporary. It can mm. be something that fades in for a period of time and then fades out for a period of time. I don't think it's as binary as black and white. It's like you've either got it in your life or you haven't got it in your life. And and I think also it can be used quite judgmentally you know it's like we can go to that place where we go well that's a toxic person which you know i i understand and i i've i say and i've said the same thing but i think the reality is it's it's within all of us to some extent and if we're not acknowledging that then we're probably not being truly honest about what toxicity can bring but it definitely for me feels like a dynamic in which you've lost who you are as a person or you're not being true to who you are as a person yeah that's a, that's a really good point because I'm only when you're bringing this up to me now I've got a friend whose face pops into my head because I'm he, he's confided in me recently about a toxic relationship and only when you say the person has lost themselves that is exactly what has happened and there are varying degrees this what my unfortunately a friend of mine has gone through is probably the most extreme form of that that I've I've ever heard of but as you say also it isn't always that obvious and that clear and when that person has lost themselves because I know this person all manner of friends and family members are, are trying to almost shake that person and say this isn't right you, you deserve better than this but he can't see it and I think sometimes you look at someone that's in like, whether it's an abusive relationship and a toxic relationship. And from the outside, there is a little bit of that judgment of, why, well, it's easy, just leave. But for that person, I've, I've seen that recently, what it's like for that person in there that has lost themselves, that 
does still sort of cling to maybe the good parts of that relationship. And that is really in the mix of it. It's not sometimes until you completely detach and step away that you can actually see it for what it was. But I, I, yeah, I know someone personally that's, that's going through an awful lot. And yeah, whilst in that relationship did seemingly completely lose who he was and, you know, allowed that person to probably belittle and dictate and yeah, hopefully now he starts to see it for, for how toxic it actually was. I, I, will say that I I've been in what I would call toxic friendships in the past mm. which have been patterns and I look back and kind of go you know what was I doing why was I in those patterns what what was going on for me and I think this is th- this is a really critical question and I'm glad you brought it up so early because I think it takes some unpicking why do people stay within toxic relationships why do we stay not, you know, did I stay in a to- in toxic friendships when it's a relationship which is unhealthy for you? It's not who you are, yet you stay in it. And the first question I want to ask, and I'm slightly putting you on the spot, Fraser, which obviously I love doing. Whose pattern is it? In So your friend, mm. whose pattern is it? Is it, you know, is it your friend's? pattern or is it your the the other person involved with with him or her I think that's a really important question what do you think when you when you say pattern what do you mean well let me let me help you with it so the easiest way is if if I look back on my own experience so I have a friendship which is not healthy for me but there are dynamics with it that make me want to stay with it and and I can go well that's their pattern that's a toxic person who is creating a pattern which I fall for all the time you hear that all the time don't you I actually think the pattern lies with it lay with me you're as involved in that pattern as the other person if not more and I think it's a really interesting thing to analyze is staying in an unhealthy relationship is not about the other person it's about you it's about Mm. your mate going why why are they staying in that un- un- unhealthy pattern? It's very easy to point the finger at the other person. And it's much harder to go, why do I keep doing this to myself? Mm. And I think sometimes those toxic relationships, toxic patterns lie more within the person than they do with the other person mm. because you're in a place where you're receiving it all the time. Mm. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. and it, uh, And a lot of it does come down to experiences that you may have had before the way you feel about yourself I deserve this I'm not I'm not worthy of of something else I I don't feel good enough for this person I know those kind of aspects fall into it as well and you're right you you do have to look look at yourself and you have to look within and it's a it's a very difficult one because a lot of within the course of a relationship you build up sort of milestones and big events that you may have gone through and then there develops a fear a fear of what happens if I do leave this relationship what is their reaction going to be like then if it's a big friendship group and it's always been a part of your life you might think well if I come away from this then these other people aren't going to be my friends anymore and I'm going to I'm going to have nobody I'm going to be lonely so I might as well stay in it because at least I've got people around me or there isn't that fear of abandonment and being on your own so I think sometimes you then just start to accept behaviors that you shouldn't do to to stick within that let me let me ask you this then what did a toxic friendship or friendship group how did that kind of look for you in the moment and, and could you see it at the time or now that you've sort of stepped away from it you go wow that was you know pretty unhealthy for me no, I didn't see it at the time at all. And I think it was a lot of it was based on me wanting to be accepted. Exactly mm. what you said, wanting to be liked and wanting and not not being sure of who I was. And and therefore, obviously, both of our stories involve addiction. And I think addiction plays a massive part in these sorts of dynamics where you're so insecure that you are going to play a role for people mm. that, that sort of satisfies that crushing gap in your soul that that you feel really uneasy about who you are so I definitely didn't see it at the time you know it's that kind of thing of going well they made me do this again or oh, I got drunk again because you know I did this or I did you know 
I think it's where the thing's the wrong way around. They didn't make you do anything. You walked into it and received it and took it. And that was definitely my case. Like now I look back and I'm like, now I know who I am. I Mm. wouldn't walk into that. I wouldn't accept that pattern of toxicity. That's not on them. That's on me. So the responsibility lies with me. I think the interesting part of that, though, is does toxicity, does it come down from previous experiences? So it's like I've had friends who have had constant or fairly regular toxic romantic relationships. So when they then meet someone and it's a fairly normal relationship, it feels really alien to them. They don't understand it. They, they're like, this isn't what I'm used to. Mm. And actually, they almost crave the toxicity back because there's like a, an element of drama. There's an element of up and down. It's not, it doesn't seem too placid. You hear it all the time, that kind of a friend, girlfriend or boyfriend of yours who's met someone and they're like, yeah, it's just all a bit too safe <laughs> and it's all a bit too easy, you know? Yeah. And where where does that does that come down from previous experiences? You know, I know you won't mind me saying, but you the challenges that you witness with your mum and your dad, it mm. does does that affect you then going forward around how you perceive toxicity or not? I don't know. What do you think? I definitely think there's a lot in that. And I had a really good conversation with uh was a female who has, has been someone that we've we've known for a few years, and she is always in a terrible relationship. And exactly like you say went out with this guy who treated her like a queen and bought her stuff and just made her feel really good and she's got a little boy and he you know he was a man and he was ready to play that part and exactly like you say he's a bit he's a bit too nice he's um I don't know how to react he's buying me flowers he's doing this he's and Mm then ended that relationship and fell straight back into the seemingly bad boy or the seemingly one that tends to treat her like crap. And someone from the outside looking in, I'm like, well, this is obviously the guy that you should be with. He treats you well and this one doesn't. But again, I'm not in that and it isn't, like you say, it isn't my pattern and it isn't something that's I can't see because I'm not in there. But I know from having that conversation of, of almost sitting her down going, why is it that you choose this type of guy? And I think a lot of it came back to what a healthy relationship that was modeled to her as a young person. But also she talked about, she fell head over heels in love when she was 16, 17. And that guy who she thought the world of cheated on her. And I think that played a big part. And I don't think it was ever dealt with. I don't think she really spoke about it much, but I think from then on, her opinion of men was, well, they, they're all, all men do this because like the, the best guy that I know, the one that I have my heart set on, he did this. My dad mm. did this. The next person that she went with, yeah, he, he treated her poorly. So it's almost like it isn't a shock and there's almost a bit of acceptance. Oh, this is just what men do. So then when someone comes away and maybe models a healthier relationship and is really nice and honest and that kind of thing, it's a little bit alien to be, to have someone that's treating you like that a little bit. And Mm. I think there's various stories that you probably tell yourself in your head of why it might not work or why this is the better option. But I, from the outside, couldn't see it, but obviously had to put myself in her shoes. And I know a lot of people in, you know, in that position, there has to be an attraction. There has to be, you know, that side of things, obviously, but to have someone that, that treats you really well, and then to just go back into it. I think there's a lot of underlying layers there. And definitely just from that one conversation I can really remember, I know that she almost had it as like an acceptance and what had been modelled to her and what she'd seen wasn't a healthy relationship, but it was all she'd really seen. I've had this with friends, another friend of mine who, he comes from a very quite dysfunctional family. And then he met his now fiance. They've got a couple of kids and very happy together. But he he said he remember going around their house and the family couldn't do enough for him. So her mum and dad and family, they all sat around watching TV. They ate dinner at a dining table. They couldn't help him enough. And he was like, what's, what's the catch here? Like, what, what do they want? And he was really like, really suspicious. And he was laughing at, about it as he told me. But he was like, what's going on here? 
but he hadn't seen that model to him. His understanding of a family was chaos and dysfunction. And when he saw one, it was like, well, this is a bit weird. And I think that can be in, in certain relationships, depending on your childhood or your own relationships or your parents and stuff like that. For me, that definitely plays a big part. What do you think? Mm. Well, I'd go further. I think toxicity can be an addiction. I think people can be addicted to it. You know, it, it goes hand in hand with that phrase of, oh, I always meet this type of person or I always have that type of boss or my friends mm. always do this. It's not them. It's you. It's mm. us. And the addictive part of it is because probably someone scientific could tell, explain this as to what chemicals get released in the brain. But I think it there's a rise and a fall of toxicity, isn't there? There's a kind of, you know, the drama of a really big problem and then the makeup from it. And then it's a go again and go again and go again. And the reality is that that's in the long, well, medium and long term is is incredibly unhealthy. It's only ending one way and that's someone who gets really, really damaged. But in the short term, I think someone can find that quite addictive. And what you're talking about where your friend has a very normal relationship and they're almost suspicious of it. I think that's because they don't get that rise in the fall, you know, and it kind of takes some time to adjust to it. So I definitely think that toxicity can be an addiction. It's whether someone's even aware that they're within that pattern or not. And it, it goes back to that point that I said that I don't think the pattern is the other person. I think mm. it's your pattern or our pattern. I don't like saying your, but you know, our, because I've, yeah. I've done it myself. It's a really good way of looking at it and turning it inwards. If you get caught up in the other way of doing it, you can you can almost become a victim of the blame game where it's them, it's always them. And I've had, again, because, because we've shared about addiction and alcohol and, you know, I try and help people that want to stop drinking. I often get men that will say to me, Oh, I really want to stop, but my, you know, I go to the football with my mates on a weekend and this and that. But you're choosing to put yourself in that environment and to go and surround yourself with those people. And then on the other side, I've had before women that will often, and I heard this talked about in a podcast as well, but women that would talk to me and say, my boyfriend's drinking too much, or I always seem to pick the wrong guy or I always do this. And I think it was Esther Perel, the, she's like a relationships therapist and she was talking and said um about a, a woman that said she kept going for a guy he used to always go out with his mates and drink too much and she was like right where did you meet this guy in a pub or in a nightclub right so when you met him he was drinking heavily he was going out and he was doing this yeah where did you meet the next guy in the bar on a, on a Saturday night or this or that so she's putting herself since you know they might not all be but an environment that could be toxic. She's going to the same places to meet the same kind of men that are already out with their mates drinking heavily and then expecting them because they go with her to be this husband that stays at home and, and doesn't do this. Her way of going and meeting men is going to the same kind of places and same kind of environments that tend to attract the same kind of men. And her thing was about looking at herself, right, if you want that kind of man, this is where you'll probably find him four o'clock in the morning on a Saturday night, whatever it might be. If you want a different kind of person, maybe start going to different environments instead of, you know, the whole world having to change for you. That made me think a little bit because you are who who you surround yourself with. And there's, there's a lot around that, you know, the five people that you surround yourself with, you'll tend mm. to be like, if you surround yourself with the five closest people to you are obese, scientifically, you're more likely to become obese. If the five people closest to you drink heavily you're more likely to do the same because if you go to a bar or a restaurant and you know when the waiter goes around and they they'll say what do you want to drink if you're with five other people and you're last one to place your order and they go yep I'll have a pint I'll have a pint I'll have a pint I'll have a pint and it comes to you you're probably going to go oh, yeah yeah go on then I'll, I'll have a pint even if you don't want one if everyone else says, no, I'll have a water, I'll, I'll have a Coke, whatever it is, and it gets to you, you're more likely to go, oh, I don't want to be the only one that says I'm going to have a pint. So yeah, I'll do what they're doing. So it's about putting yourself in those environments as well as the people that you're surrounding yourself with, I think. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. And that's definitely been a big part for me with sobriety. You know, I can still, I've definitely differentiated of who was my friend and who was a drinking buddy for sure. 
And I think a lot of people fear that. But again, that word fear, this whole topic that we're talking about, I think the fear of stepping away is probably one of the things that holds people there a lot longer than they should be as well. What's the phrase that I reel out once in a while? Um, if you go to the barbers enough, you'll get a haircut eventually. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Have <laughs> you not? Oh my God, no. I, can't, I, <laughs> I can't believe I haven't bored you with that one. It's in my long <laughs> list of ones. Yeah, you go to the barbers enough, eventually you get a haircut. That's that, yeah. that group you're with. But I mean, it, it moves us nicely on to what we do. We're, we're talking about toxicity. And I just, I just want to kind of wrap that up. The easiest way for me to describe what I often recognize in toxic dynamics now is judgment versus curiosity. Mm. So like us, Fraser, we're in a in a friendship. And if every time we talk about something, we judge each other, that creates a dynamic, which in my opinion, eventually becomes really toxic. It's like all those friends talking about another friend because they're judging them. It's It's that toxicity. Curiosity is... I don't understand that or I don't agree with it, but I'm really interested to under- mm. try and understand it a little bit more. I think that's really important. Mm. I actually, on a broader level, think that the world could do with a lot more of that, of curiosity than judgment. And it's when we judge harsh on people is when relationships are super toxic, whether they're at work, at home, in the pub, mm. cafe, you know, on a podcast two guys with long hair and beards, you know, it, it, it can exist. <laughs> Do you feel like you did that before? Have you? Has it taken a lot for you to get to a point of where you are now in terms of being non-judgmental? Just because I've gone through a lot in the last few months and you've always been on the end of the phone for me. I don't think you've ever once gone, you should do this, that isn't right, don't do that. And it's never been that. It's been you've listened and you've understood and you've given some amazing advice, but you've never, you've never once gone, this is what you need to do or you need to do that, or that isn't right, or you haven't, you haven't judged at all. And what got you to that point? Mm. And, and has it always been that way? No, no, it hasn't. And I and the, the weirdest thing is Joe and I had a conversation about this last night, which really relates to what I'm about to say to you. So it hasn't always been like that. But what I know today is I am very capable of being hugely judgmental. And that helps me be non-judgmental. Yeah. It relates back to remember what Simon Cousin was saying in an earlier episode, like a, about a safe man and a dangerous man. Yes. And a safe man is the guy who can see his dark side, who can see what he's capable of. We were talking about this last night, our shadow side. You know, it's the side of us that we don't want to believe exists in us, that we would never lie or we'd never manipulate or we'd never do all of that kind of thing. I think I've got better at it because I've got more honest about Mm. it. I've got more honest about who I can be if I don't look after myself. And to be brutally honest right now, I can, I can be judgmental today. No question. It can creep into my day super easily, but I, I feel like there's more of a check for me to go, Oh, I know what that's about. And then withdraw rather than just be sucked into that world of, of judging everything and everyone that I meet and see. It's, I don't know how to describe it. There's definitely, there's no permanence with this, but it's me being able to look at the eye of the storm of what I'm capable of and go, that could be me, helps me not be it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you can, if I came to you and said, this is what's happened, what do you think? You've still got that in you that goes, there might be a side to you away from telling me or anything like that, that has that element of judgment of this is what I think but then you're able to breathe and then you're able to go, right, I know that that's there. And then this allows me to be non-judgmental and, and offer what I believe is the right thing to offer. Is that is that right? Or Yeah, I mean, I, I think over time, you know, very much like how we've learned to, in our path of recovery with addiction, it's not like it just switches on and off. Yeah. I, you know, there's definitely been a work in progress now. Naturally, I'm far 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 less judgmental than I was in the past it's not that I get it say say we were having a conversation you start talking and I can feel myself starting to judge and I I pull back I don't have that anymore that would have been early days nowadays it comes a bit more natural to me but it can definitely come back I can definitely I could read something in the news or I could see something on social media and I could I can feel myself going back there and then go no hang on I know that's not me 
that's not who I want to be and th- and then pull back from it. it I guess it takes practice mm. is the best yeah. way. And I'm definitely not sat here going, I'm some sort of angel saint who gets it perfectly right. Not at all. Like I said, I know what I'm capable of. And I'm grateful for that because it means I want to be curious. And I have really tried, you know, times of a lot of conflict in, in our country and across the world, things like Brexit, Trump, political divides, wars, etc. I've really, really tried. I know where I naturally sit with all these things, but I've really tried to have some curiosity to understand the side that I don't necessarily agree with rather than just sit there and shout at them. Yeah. And, you know, that curiosity has led me to go, I definitely don't agree with them and I don't think that's right or, or whatever it might be, but it's a better, healthier dynamic for me than going, I'm just going to slag someone off and tell yeah. them they're a moron. Yeah. But it takes time. Yeah, I totally get that. And in in terms of like the toxic, so that's taken like a lot of self-awareness and a lot of practice. What was it that took you or, or gave you sort of the courage to step away from a toxic friendship previously? Mm. Was it like a big moment where you stepped away or was it a gradual, I know who I am now and this this isn't right for me anymore? You're doing that thing, Fraser, with the questions. I don't know. I think producer Lucy is feeding you some very good questions. Got my earpiece in here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it's it's fear. It mm. all boils down to fear for me. I went into those dynamics and I behaved in certain ways because I was terrified. And I was terrified of not being accepted, terrified of not being liked, terrified of not being part of a group. And it was all fear driven. And when I, you know, I'm very grateful for that kind of total breakdown I had and going into rehab. And one of the biggest things that was slapped in my face was fear. How terrified. I didn't think I was scared of anything. I didn't. Mm. I honestly, if someone day one of of rehab, someone said, what are you scared of? I'd have said nothing. Zero. I'll take on anything. And then by the time I left, I realized I was actually terrified of everything. And so fear got me in those dynamics, but then a lack of fear prevents me going in them because I don't have those same fears around who I am, what I'm doing. So the easiest way I can describe it is, you know, when you have an argument with somebody and this is, this takes a lot of work in progress, but you have an argument with someone and that argument sits in your head for days. You know, it's like you replay it and going, oh no, I was right. They were wrong. And you keep thinking about that argument. Rather than being in a place where you can have a disagreement with someone and be comfortable that there's that disagreement, it doesn't mean that you're a good person, they're a bad person or vice versa. It's just, it is what it is. That's a great reflection of what I'm talking about, how when you hold fear, the reason I kept replaying those arguments in my head was because I was terrified I might be wrong or I might not be Mm. a good person. Whereas when the fear went, I was like, okay, we've disagreed, but that's okay. Curiosity, not judgment. And then it sits much easier with you. That's very similar. That's that's never felt okay for me before, especially when I was younger. If I disagree with someone, walking away and going, yeah, that's all right. It was like, it's mm. me against you or we can't be friends or whatever it might be. But I, I think a lot of my toxic friendships and toxic environments and, you know, relationships, I do look at myself and I think it was me that attracted those. It was me wanting a bit of validation not feeling good enough trying to be around what is it a round peg in a square hole (laughs) yeah me trying to sort of me trying to do that trying to fit in it's interesting actually because I did a a session yesterday with Tottenham under 18 group at their academy and I'm, I'm fascinated by that this age young professional sports people they're 16 to 18 19 25 of them all sort of vying for their seniority and place in life and place in the team and such bravado like all of them it's they're all like really good lads but they're all you know they've got that mask up and they're saying things to impress the other boys and that kind of thing and um you'll often get one uh, and it really is rare that is just completely authentic and doesn't need to be like the rest I gravitate towards that as a footballer myself and I would go and want to be like that person. And I saw one yesterday and I won't talk about him, but 
there was one lad that I played with called called Andrew Fox, and everyone else is like coming in in the same cars, the same clothes, they listen to the same music, they're trying to live that little footballer lifestyle, and this lad was just so comfortable in his own skin. He drove like this, <laughs> this like escort car with like a big soccer mum car and loved it and he was so proud of it after training he would go to a creative writing class and he'd come in and he'd talk to the boys about it and some of the boys would go who's this weirdo but I instantly was just so attracted to sitting next to him and talking to him and he just he just felt enough as he was and he felt comfortable and we'd go out on a team night out and if something wasn't right He'd often be, although he's quite a quiet person, he'd be the one that would call things out. He'd be the one that goes, no, nah, I'm, I'm not going there tonight. I'm, I'm going to go here. He'd get called boring. He'd get, oh, you're no fun. And he's like, no, I'm fun. I, I just do it my own way. And he was so authentic. And I was like, that's that's what I want to be like. Mm. And I wasn't brave enough to be like that. I was like, I don't really want to do this, but everyone else is, I'll go along and I'll, I'll do it and I'll try and fit in and, don't really like this music that's been played in the changing room. He, he was like a massive country and Western fan would, would play it out in his car. I was like, I actually kind of prefer what he's doing, but uh, all the other boys are listening to like hip hop and rap. So I'll be one of them. And I just, I love that about him. Mm-hmm. And he then, you know, went into a relationship and I, I imagine, and, and he's been, you know, he's been married now for about 10 years, but I imagine he went straight into that relationship and, and knew the boundaries that he wanted to put in place and knew what was right for him, what wasn't right for him. Whereas for me, I went into a relationship not knowing myself and sort of going along with the crowd and ended up going, oh, I'll just do what you want to do. I just, I just want you to like me. So yeah, if you want to do that, we'll go and do it. If we disagree with something, oh, that doesn't sit right with me. So I'll, I'll go and try and fix that and try and actually, no, you probably got a point and almost, get rid of my opinion and go along with theirs. And it was it was that feeling of not feeling enough, not feeling they would like the real me. So I'll try and fit in. So mm. when you get yourself into a toxic friendship or relationship, it does. You you look at yourself and you go, Yeah, this is this is me that's probably chosen this path. But it it, mm. it brought that back to me yesterday when I was working with that young group. And it yeah, it, it sort of shone a light on being authentic and and probably knowing yourself in order to have those boundaries and take yourself away from those those toxic relationships. But like you mm. said, for us, it's been a, a long and sometimes painful process of masking that and trying to fit in with alcohol and not really knowing who you are and not knowing your place in the world or what you offer and eventually getting there. But that's probably where the gratitude lies in, you know, all those mistakes and lessons along the way. But eventually, you know, you're, you're on the right path and you get in there. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think what's interesting, I was going to ask you, but you, you answered it yourself, was why were you so attracted to him? And I think it's really interesting because I was always, always attracted to people like that, like I, almost like they fascinated me a little bit. And it's because I really wanted to be like that. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's actually the two, two end of the spectrum is like him or actually the guy who is absolutely totally into his hip hop and rap on the other end yeah, of yeah. the spectrum, yeah. but driving in. They're both really sure who they are and it's just, that yeah, people like you and I were just stood in the middle kind of going, I'm not yeah. really sure where I fit here. Here's the, the, the thing for us to move on to is that it's very easy for us to, to talk about toxicity and, you know, you shouldn't have it in your life. This is what you should be doing. But the reality is that there are going to be relationships in your life which you can't avoid family close friends whatever it might be that there are going to be I guess toxic dynamics or very toxic dynamics that you have to face all the time and I guess the question is then how do we create boundaries what do we even mean by boundaries you know what does that mean I'll start it off by sort of talking a little bit around myself and how I sometimes and I have to deal with one particularly difficult toxic dynamic which is is a present as a regular presence in in our lives and i think the boundaries are some are actual practical things of spending time with that person or not and avoiding their their presence but i think most importantly the boundaries are boundary in my head 
saying this is not acceptable this isn't how i want to live my life this isn't a world that i want to get wrapped up in so there's a practical and a mental element to it which are both super important and i think sometimes that mental element actually allows you to put the physical elements in place because it's like i don't want to spend time with that person or i want to limit my time or i want to be in the presence of other people when i'm with that person do you have any experiences around that fraser it, it was the question that i was going to ask you is when that becomes a family member or someone that you can't really get get away from yeah yeah i've i've had that in in my life and i think sometimes when you haven't maybe dealt with that it can you know you've heard that phrase of someone living rent free in your head but you can end mm. up constantly replaying scenarios and thinking and allowing that person that is toxic to just consume so much of your like bandwidth and so much of your time and energy and then that can affect your relationship at with your partner or at work and even though you're not even speaking to this person really you can allow them to influence so many other areas of your mood and your life sometimes it's being brave enough to confront it because i'm not a very confrontational person a lot of that goes down to since i've i've spoken to therapists and stuff but i as a kid i was always trying to stop arguments and trying to get people to get along and i think that's been a big part of my character of i want everyone to get along i don't like shouting i don't like confrontation i don't like fights that kind of thing and looking at myself that's probably a reason why i've allowed things to maybe happen where i shouldn't have allowed to happen yeah for for me there's there are practical things to be put in place of of that but then the i think the side biggest for me is having the courage to almost put my foot down a little bit and not accept because i am you know a very calm laid back kind of person but i don't want to be a walkover and there's a there's a big difference i think you told me that before as well about be calm be compassionate but don't allow yourself to be a doormat and i think that's mm. that's true and i'm quite interested to see how you yeah how how would you deal with with that these days whether it well, you know mm. whether it is you know something that you can't avoid in terms of a figure that's maybe going to be prominent in your life or when you see toxicity in general how do you approach it now compared to when you were a little bit younger yeah the the phrase don't be a doormat's like list it's definitely on my 101 list of boring things <laughs> i say constantly <laughs> it boils down for me to going if i if i go back to that when we were talking about toxicity at the start, that toxicity is a dynamic in which you lose yourself. You're not who you want to be. You're not the person that you want to be or should be or aspire to be. If you have got to a place where you go, I understand that dynamic, I can see it, then the most important thing for me is not engaging in that madness. So mm. I don't even know if I'm explaining this very well, but if I'm there's a particular person in my life who if I start big conversations with, I know where they head. They head to really toxic kind of dynamics that bring the worst out of me and take me away from who I want to be. My answer is I have to be honest about that and then not get into those deep conversations with that person. So I have to make sure that all my communication with them is kept at a healthy distance or is kept at a minimum in order to not get dragged into their world. When the opposite can happen is when someone continually gets dragged back into their world and is then trying to debate and talk about things within a, a, a toxic or an unreasonable manner, it doesn't go anywhere. I don't know of any relationship that is toxic where somebody tries to, they, they talk it through and they go, yeah, this is you know, great. Okay. I understand your point. I understand your point. You, you walk away. It doesn't happen. That's not what to mm. toxicity is. It ends up in a kind of mess of, of a hole and you kind of can't remember why you got into it and why you didn't. So for me, it's that kind of recognizing it. it's not, I'm not, I know the world I want to live in. I know the conversations I want to have. I know the people now, and, I, and it's taken me a long time. I know the people I want to be around. So if it's not something like that, then I'm going to be honest about it immediately and then create a boundary to say, I'm not stepping into your world. If you have to step into mine, it's going to be for minimal amount of time. It's going to be very controlled so that I can step away again. And I know that that 
that can be super hard if that's a very you know the person i'm particularly talking about isn't a, a close family member but is a presence in my life but if it was a close family member i'm sure that's very very difficult to do but it is yeah. the answer but also where you spoke to about before i think so much of it that word fear that you use and i know we've done a whole episode on that but that is a driving force for so much i think of mm. of how we act that in any form of life and i can i can probably imagine that a lot of people when they're thinking of toxicity are probably thinking about not just relationships and friendships but work and maybe a boss that's toxic or colleagues that they have to they have to be around every day in the office and sometimes that can be a difficult one because a little bit like you where you said this isn't a, a close friend or family member, but mm. they're sort of a you know a constant presence in your life. It's pretty similar if you if you're at a place of work and you've got a colleague or a boss that's there, you don't really want to surround yourself with them, but they're they're kind of part of your your everyday. So it's about managing how that looks in your world. And it's it's an interesting one for you because I think a lot of this what you talk about and you help a lot of athletes and people within sport and media but this must be something that crops up quite a lot for you within their lives as well so do you do you, do you find yourself helping other people naturally with with this as well as you know having to practice it yourself well it's a good question I, I think what a couple of things I just want to say is I'm hesitant ever to say I've become self-aware yeah because that feels like I've ticked it I've done it I, I think I'm more I'm more self-aware than I was. And yeah. also when, I, when I'm thinking about clients who might have unhealthy relationships in their lives, it's not for me to tell them. If yeah. they come to me and say, I've got a problem here or you know, th this doesn't fit well for me, then I can help them. But I'm not master of ceremonies. The biggest thing for me with all of this is that we choose it. If, you, if you've got a difficult relationship in your life, you choose it. The one I'm talking about, I choose it. I choose that relationship. So therefore I have to manage it. You know, if you've got a difficult boss at work that you find is really toxic and you choose to stay, that's your choice. You can move or not move. I know, know things aren't quite as simple as that, but there is a choice element to it with everybody when they're, when they're dealing with or not setting boundaries or, or setting boundaries. I have a, a girlfriend who's, you know, I've, who's in another bad relationship and, God, I never meet the right guy, this kind of thing. I'm, it's not the guys, it's you. You're choosing it, you want it. And I think it always goes back to that. If you choose it, then you're not being honest and, and you don't recognize it, you're not being honest about it. I think the first step in creating boundaries around toxicity is getting honest about it and you know whoever that might be. I guess the question is, which I, I want to play devil's advocate, I guess. I have heard people say this to me before, but... In what we've been talking about, it's essentially is a, is a patterns of behavior, which is where people are people pleasing. I think you might have said it early on. You know, I was, yeah. you know, I wanted to people please. I wanted to be everyone's friend. So is that such a bad thing? Is that such a bad thing to want to be friendly with everybody and to fit in with different crowds? Is that is that not a good thing? It's a good question. That's for sure. There's there's good elements to it, and there's there's not so good elements to it. I believe. And where you say as well, fitting in with different crowds, I. I don't think you need to be so black and white. And I do think, you know, some people say, you know, you act a little bit differently when you're with them compared to when you're with them. But that isn't always a, a bad thing either. It's only when you're probably going against your values and trying to fit into something that you probably know deep down, mm, this, this isn't really who I am. When you've got that kind of feeling. But I think of things like being an introvert and an extrovert. And I think people categorize themselves as they have to be one or the other. I don't believe that. I think with, with certain people, I'm probably a little bit more reserved and quiet and in crowds, but with the right people and in a safe enough environment, I can be a completely different, you know, extroverted character. So it's not about being, this is, this is who I am and, and that I'll stick to that. But people pleasing and wanting people to like you. I think it's, it's very natural for everyone as a human being. You want to be liked, like you, you want to get on with people. I just think when you do that and you compromise who you are to do that is probably the difference in mm. terms of sort of chronic people pleasing and not being true to yourself and putting up with things that you, sh you shouldn't put up with and being the person that you aren't. 
But yeah, I think I'll always have a natural thing of wanting people to like me and wanting to get on with people. It's kind of, you know, who I am. Would you, would you have classed yourself as a people pleaser? I would have done in the past for sure. I always think of it as being, you know, like I could put on different masks. So if you needed me to be something, I could, I could be that. You wanted me to hang out with this group of people, I could put that mask on and be that type of person or background or likes or dislikes. I could essentially just mask into what, whoever I wanted to be. And I, I think, uh, you know, the easiest way to explain it is from my point of view is, and I guess I, you know, like I'm 47. I'm, I've had a few years at this now. I, I know who I am. I'm very comfortable with who I am. So I, I don't feel the need to people please at all anymore. I don't, you know, I know who I am and that that's okay. And I, I think the element of putting on a mask and fitting in with crowds, you know, in the long term, it's really unhealthy. Mm. You, you, you lose who you are. I got to a place where I just didn't even know who I was. I, I essentially, the character I was, was whoever you needed me to be at that moment in time. You know, if I was left to my own devices on it, I didn't have an answer mm. because I'd been through a pattern where I was just constantly people pleasing. You know, of course, people want, want to be liked and want to be in environments, I guess, that make them feel comfortable. But if you are people pleasing a lot, then I think you have to ask yourself the question of who you're living your life for. Are you living your life for other people or are you living your life for what you want to be in life? You know, who who you want to be, what type of person, what type of son, daughter, friend, father, wife, whatever it might be. And you have to ask that question because if you're consistently people pleasing, I think you're you're consistently living a life for other people rather than who you want to be. And I think all people pleasing comes down to not feeling enough and not feeling like you'd be accepted for who you are and again comes that word fear it's fear of someone not liking the real me so I'm not going to show them the real me I'm going to show them what they kind of want to see or what they would like so I'll go against and compromise who I am to try and fit in with what will get liked and I think that's a that's that's a difference and it comes to that that word fear again and I I do I, I genuinely believe that all people pleasing comes down to that real feeling of self-worth is they aren't going to like the real me. So I'll pretend to be, you know, something that I'm not. And like you say, if you, if someone lives their whole life in that way, it must be exhausting. And you are then essentially living your life for other people and what they would want rather than this is who I am. And if you don't like me, that's fine. It, it doesn't really matter. And I think I'm, I'm getting there of, of doing that. And I, I'm now doing things very differently to, uh, to how I would have done before. And I often get people go, Oh, you've, you've changed a little bit. And I'm like, yeah, I, I have. And I'm, I'm pretty proud to say that I have as well. Whereas I think sometimes before, you know, I, and I've had people that have said, you know, when I do like the ice bar things or go on retreats and stuff like that, they probably go, he's a little bit weird, but that would have created a lot of fear in me as a younger man. People thinking I'm a bit weird or people not getting me. Where now I'm like, yeah, it's cool. Like I'm, this is what I enjoy doing. You, you do what you enjoy doing. I don't need you to approve or to like. And it's, it's having that, you know, removing that element of fear and needing someone else to, to approve or to like you, I think. I'm going to wrap it up with this. I, this is definitely on my list of boring quotes or things along with doormat and uh, go to the barber and <laughs> eventually get a haircut. Yeah. The other one is that the answers always lie within. And what I mean by that is, you know, if there's stuff that you've heard in this podcast, which you're like, I get that that is me. I do do that. And, you know, I can see those patterns within me. What do I do? How do I create boundaries? The answers are within and what I mean by that is the answers are about you and about who you want to be and looking at that and then understanding how you live a life that's true to that. But if you look outside for the answers, so for instance, you're in a difficult relationship and you think I must not have relationships like that again, and you don't address what's within, you're probably going to go back to that sort of relationship. Whereas actually you look within you find out what's triggering you, why you do what you do. 
you have a chance then of solving the problem on the outside. So the answers always lie within. This this it's gone very differently to how I pictured it when we said we were going to talk about this. And I think you probably set the tone for that really early on where you talked about whose pattern is it. And it's really made me just go like that and completely flip my thinking. I thought when we were talking about toxicity and toxic relationships, we would talk about other people much more. But actually, like you just said there, looking and flipping that round and looking within and realizing as difficult as, as it may be in all these situations, you really do have a choice and you aren't helpless. And yeah, I, I really like that point. And, and it's, a, it's a great thing to leave people on because again, it's probably an area that doesn't really get talked about. And when you do talk about it, you can also get caught up into, like we talked about judgment and gossip and it's though, you know, it's them over there, it's their fault. But actually turning it inwards and saying, you know, what's my what's my part in this? And knowing that you have a choice is, is really empowering. So I think that's good to, to leave people with. Awesome. Well, thank you, Fraser. And thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope you got a lot from it. If anybody is listening to this and disagrees entirely with what we've said or has experiences which fall into line, then please let us know, you know, whether in the comments underneath the wherever you're listening to your podcast or on social media, please tell us. We'll take all of that on board. So thanks for listening to the Understanding Men podcast. You can find us on all major social platforms, including Spotify, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. And we will be promoting every episode via our own personal social media as ever. So like I said, please come and find us. We uh, do want this podcast to be as interactive as possible. We want to have the conversations that you want us to have. So please tell us that. Also, if you've liked what you've heard, then go ahead and hit the follow button so you never miss an episode. And lastly, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then please leave us a review and a five-star rating would help other people find us. Any Christmas presents that can be five-star ratings would be much appreciated. Thank you and goodbye for now.